0: welcome to rafa glad to have you checking in with us again today we're going to be addressing some a very important subject but before i get into that let me just invite you to go to our website which is rafa ministries world or you can go to lee west ministry on youtube And there you will find a number of things that are just free for your viewing. It will enlarge you. Our website, you will find a lot more about what we're about and some other things being offered. We're constantly upbuilding that to just bless you and give you an opportunity to find some things that we can share that will cause you to grow into the Lord. Okay, with that having been said, let's just get right into our teaching for this session. And I'm going to address a very important, provocative subject today. It's called... And this this will be the title of it. Question, can salvation be lost? Question, can salvation be lost? This is very provocative. I understand that. So many ministers have their own interpretation and I appreciate that. But I want to try to look at what I believe the scriptures have to say about it and also to uh, approach it from not only a scriptural standpoint but also a rational standpoint, and I believe if we can tie the two together with Scripture being the dominant, not just what we would like to think or what some other theologian might want to describe to us, I believe we can arrive at the truth, and it will cause us to do great reflection and also improve our Christian life. So the question, can salvation be lost? I often start many of the, the, the teachings at the elementary part, which is Genesis chapter one, because there we find so much of a foundational truth to God as we search many of the scriptural uh, renderings that we're going to be tying our life to and our history to and our future to. And there in Genesis one, it says God created man in his own image. So the created there means that God had a design in his mind, that God had a, a thought about what he wanted his man to look like. And then he spoke this thought into existence and caused man to be formed. And there with a, a Hebrew a rendering of man that's a little bit vague, but it gives the idea that uh, he has a redness about him. Uh, it's like someone, when, when they see something uh, provocative or interesting that Uh, that they're not quite ready to deal with, their face flushes at his embarrassment. Their face flushes or the redness comes up into their face. And we see uh, the image that God used there in Genesis chapter 1 through the the writer. It, It just simply says it's a resemblance. That's why the the whole discipleship process after salvation is so that we can resemble God. And God has a wonderful place for us as we grow in him to learn the entanglements and, and the dwelling places and the encouragement and what we have in store for us as we work through the process of being in the resemblance of God. Now, when Adam fathered his son, Seth, Seth resembled him. He, out of uh, Adam's seed came forth Seth, who was a Seth, who was a, a resemblance of Adam. Man was the supremacy of God's creative process. He was what God had spent fourteen plus a half billion years preparing for Adam, the beginning of humanity to be to be created in form. And everything that God created was intended to please him and to accomplish his work. He created the cosmos. He started off with forming those. He spoke those into existence. And then he began forming animal forms. And they increased in their complexity. And then the first what we call quote-unquote humans, We know, of course, that as humans, they're not humans as we, but they were just those that had a a body and a soul. And these were the the advanced types of animals that uh, really had its culmination in the uh, last of the Neanderthals, which ended about 50,000 years ago. And then we get into uh, where we have our, our Adam, and of course he was the beginning of the homo sapiens sapien which was adam and he had a body he had a soul and he had something else that no other creature had ever had he had a god conscious spirit so adam was the first of the man that could resemble god and he was fashioned my ministry and i teach that this came into happen uh, to being about seventeen thousand years ago, and I have another teaching that you might want to uh, procure on that. It's, it could be very enlightening for you, and it's called the creation and recreation story. So you might want to look that up and in, in, uh, and and prevail yourself of that. And so these, these uh, in Adam he had God consciousness, and no other animal intuitively can rationalize that. Now, they have some of the, the abilities because I, I think everything that God created has an ability to reach toward him and give him praise. But anyway, that's that's another thought. But every man since Adam is born of God. Adam sent away his uh, personal relationship with God and all of Adam's seed came from Adam, of course, and they had certain trends of his. And as his seed progressed, as children, as do we, we come to that what is called, quote-unquote, the age of accountability. Because at that particular time, the age of accountability, and we really don't know, that that varies a little in every one. It, it normally comes into play probably somewhere around Oh, I don't know, somewhere between, say, 9 and 11 years of age. Somewhere along there. It depends upon your environment and and, and so many other things. But it's there that they become aware of their uh, destitute condition. Now, they may not be able to define that, but but intuitively they under, they begin to understand that there's just something that's out of their lives that's missing. And, and what we know it could call that is just separation from God because they're seed of Adam. As we're all born of Adam's seed, then we're all born in sin with that separation from God. And we don't know what that is as a child. We knew that there was something missing, but we couldn't define that, but we grew in that drawing to God. And in John 16, it talks to us about the fact that the Holy Spirit and the Word starts dealing in our life, even at an early age, because it says in that passage written by John that the Holy Spirit and the Word reproves the sinner of, and it goes on to tell us what this Holy Spirit is doing in every soul, and he starts to begin to give them light. And the light there is just nothing but a drawing toward God, and we can reach that part of of, uh, debarkation, or embarkation, rather. Uh, At some point, we start seeking truth, and we should in any way. Some quelch that, but others move on in it at a different rate. So the Holy Spirit begins... At that age of accountability, to reprove that—that that just means to continually admonish the uh, individual to be convicted and confess their state in mental life. And he he convicts them and reproves them. It means he's continually doing that of sin. They may not be able to define that. This is just simply their div- sin would be just their division. Uh, from God and his will, that their b- uh, bounty in life is, wh- is what they wish to take could attain, but they realize that they're never quite going to attain that. He also starts to reprove them of righteousness. and it uses the word conjunction and, so it means he's doing the one, uh he's convicting them of sin at the same time he's convicting and reproving them of righteousness this is a constant consciousness of uh not having a quality life we we start feeling that very on that there's that there's something of quality that's missing and and not uh no they have no soulish peace of course we we can under we can uh, experience uh, just a momentary peacefulness, but there's no lasting thing that equates to peace, and that grows as as a person grows in chronological age. It grows also in that mental state. They realize that they're, they don't have a quality life. So there's something missing, and this has nothing to do with world economics. You could have millions of dollars in, in the bank that's in your name as a child, and, and popularity and, and notoriety, but there's still something missing, and they start to realize that there's no soulish peace in their life. Nothing seems to bring peace, that uh, something in them is dead. That would, of course, they don't understand it, but parenthetically, that would be their spirit. They have a spirit, but it's a dead spirit. It has no life in it, and at the same time, it goes on to say, and of judgment. So they understand there's something that has to be dealt with like sin. And at the same time, there's a righteous state that that they're looking forward to trying to solve and that there's a judgment. Every sinner knows that there's a judgment for their actions. They may not want to accept it, and they may try to put it like the old saying on the back burner, but it's still there, that somewhere in their life, something is being evaluated, their life even, their circumstances, their actions are being somewhere evaluated, that their price uh, that they will have to pay for their, their actions is down the road. They're going to have to give an account. We just seemingly know that, that you, you can't do anything without it bringing consequences. So they understand that there's a price that has to be paid, that they are helpless to stop the downward trend. People from early might be wanting to do good things, but they can't. They they may strive for a while to do the right thing and say the right thing, but, but inside of them, there's not that capability to continue that. And they invariably drift back into the stealing, killing, and destroying aspect of their life. It, it may be severe, it may be slight, but it's still there. That's why you can see in a baby you can see even in, in my children i saw that when they were like in in their months like 18 15 18 months old two years certainly the terrible twos they speak about we we saw their hands reaching for that that they were not supposed to touch and and they couldn't be uh corrected you might just uh tap the hands or thump the hands or slap the hands and, and they would go right back to doing that and and they they just understand that there's something in them that's a, a a downward trend. They want to do right, and the older they get, the more sometimes if they're a rational child, they know that they shouldn't do it, but they they just they just somehow they just can't seem to help themselves. And there is a truth to that. All but a small portion of humanity continue and die in their sin. That's very important. Let me say that again. All of humanity, but a small portion of that humanity, continue to live their life, and they die in their sin. In their sin means they never yield to that inner voice and that inner urging, and they continue until they die, and then what they've been perceiving, they face. The sin, the righteousness, and the judgment part of that what they've lived and uh and made decisions based upon now here I would say that some there are some that uh, continue to allow that voice that they hear inside of them that they really can't define to continue to draw them and and they're drawn toward that they start acting upon the light given to them, and they yield to that and as they yield they move on and inside their soul they begin to admit to themselves i'm a destitute individual there's something missing that i can't satisfy in myself uh, and they say all right i accept what this ultimate voice in me is saying and they may call it god if their if their environment has taught them that word they may accept the light that they have, which they feel is a truth in their life, and they yield to that. And then God starts to reveal what he talked about in chapter one of Acts, where he talks about that God shows himself even to those who've never heard the name of Jesus. They've never heard the word preached to them. They've never seen a Bible. They've never seen a Christian, but they understand the Godhead as much as they can. God lets them see the Godhead in nature, and in things around them, they begin to see this supreme being, this supreme, what we call God, and they say, okay, I want you to do what you will in perfecting me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I feel, and they start acting rightly. They, in other words, they start acting righteously, even though they can't define that term. And at this moment, and there's going to be some who will disagree with it, that's fine. That's okay. I I hate to say this parenthetically, but you'd be wrong if you want to. I know know ministers who don't accept that, Uh, but if you read uh, Acts chapter 1, then you you can't really come to any other uh, conclusion about that at this moment their dead spirit come to life, no matter what state they're in, what part of the world that they live in. They may live in a penthouse on Park Avenue, or they may live in some jungle someplace, but their spirit comes to life, and they start acting upon that that light, that truth, and they have that for the first time in their life as what happened to us. They have that clean feeling. Remember that? Remember that when you were saved, you had that clean feeling inside of you that you had never felt before? They begin to experience a harmony in a relationship that has never been completely understood or felt before. They begin to feel that harmony. They feel the heavy burden of their soul completely has vanished away. Because we understand that, that God wipes that out from our memory, and we should not remember it because he's not going to remember it. And he works that principle in every soul that is what we will learn as being born again or acting on the truth that they have, which is furnished furnished by God to bring us into that truth. And their mental trauma is gone. Wasn't that a wonderful feeling in your life when you've all of that trauma that you and the and the heavy burden of it that you had felt was no longer there and if you're an unsafe person listening to this please know that that's available for you god can lift that burden off of your life and that trauma out of your soul and you can know peace in this life these persons uh they can't define what they've had but they are truly born again and that just simply means as of what the scripture talks about that in Hebrews, it just simply means, and the New Covenant would verify that, is just simply being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you just have to be born from above. So the vast majority of this small group go on with God. I like to use the term remnant. There is a remnant. God always has a remnant, no matter how much they attack, that go on with God. They, they start to, to grow in wisdom and knowledge of the word and of the will of god there again they may not know what the word says they may not know exactly what the will of god can be defined as but they begin to grow in that and to function in it and they begin to gain knowledge in that as they sit under as they sit under godly pastors and teachers that's why they put these in god has put these into the body of christ He gives pastors and teachers things that he does not, and abilities, he does not give the average person. This is why I have great problems today with churches where the pastor only preaches maybe on Sunday morning, and then he turns the rest of the ministry over to sale groups and to assistant pastors, to certain other things. But but God puts that in the heart of a true pastor. Now, let me just say this. There are fewer pure pastors than you would realize if you could know it. Once you gain in the knowledge of what the church is about, you will begin to see what I'm saying is true. There's a lot of people who stand in pulpits that should not be there, that are not sanctions of God, and they're leading the blind to be more blind. So these people begin to grow in their wisdom as they sit under godly teachers. There again, these these may not have a title about them or, a, or some numbers after their name or f- letters after their name, but they can teach truth also because God can put these into every uh, generation and in every situation. They begin to also see their talents develop. You, you will never see your talents develop fully until you come through this born-again state. We see this in the entertainment world. Some of these people have beautiful voices. Some have wonderful talents that we can see of drawing people, but it's all perverted. Everyone that is not born of God, their talent is perverted by the enemy. And these these remnant, they gave a grin to grow in their personal relationship with their Savior, or I could put the article V in there, the Savior. And Savior here means uh, that they're not only their creator, but also their deliverer, that uh, the Savior part there would be the sacrifice of God for them. There again, they may not understand all about that. And there's a lot of even people in the Western world who who uh, have been in churches for years, they still can't define Savior to you. But uh, this these people... Begin to understand what Savior means, not only the, the the Lamb of God, but also deliverer. God wants to be our Savior. The word actually savior really translates into deliverer. So when, when we afford ourselves of the Savior of God, he not only can save our soul for eternity, but Savior there can mean deliver. And you become accessible to God's intermediate. Uh, supernatural intervention in your life to deliver you from circumstances. And I've covered this on many of my other tapes in various form. This remnant begins to enjoy being with the body of Christ. The fact is that's one of the uh, guidelines that you can tell if a person is, is is developing in Christ and, and born again and developing in that born again image is that they enjoy being with Christians. If a person doesn't like being with Christian Christians, I, I can almost categorically say that person is not saved. They may have had a religious experience, but they're they're not saved. If you're saved, you have a drawing to be with the body of Christ, and that's the church. Fact is, the church is really a New Testament, uh, a Greek New Testament word. It's really not formed. Now, now, the concept of being part of the ecclesia, the drawn-out ones, that is prevalent uh, throughout the whole word. But the word church is really a new covenant word. So with those thoughts in mind, John chapter 8, uh, God, the Holy Spirit put in John uh, where Jesus is, is talking to those who believed in him. He says, if you continue in my word, and of course, there's a, pro- there's a, a, a question there. And a charge if you continue in my word. And of course, we know that Jesus, parenthetically, is the word because he was the word made flesh. He says, Then, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed? And I have uh argued the question, I don't mean argue, argue in the world contemporary sense. I'm talking about as a lawyer would argue as, uh, a problem at the at the court. I I've argued this with with other people who say that you can never lose your salvation that uh, that 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 once you have it you always have it and that opens another can of worms in the pandora's box but the word there is very clear if you continue so you you have to have something to to continue and to for the if to be applicable so if is an option of action. It's, it's an active, activation of your will. You choose to do that. So if you don't know something, you can't change your mind about it. So it's, it's your will. It means to continue. In other words, stay fixed is what the what the uh, Greek word there would say. You're going to stay fixed on a certain location in your mind. You have come to decision in a place in your mind and to stay fixed on that. So if you continue, that means stay fixed in a certain location or state of relationship, that's another part of the definition of continuing in the Greek, if you continue in that relationship, then are you my disciples indeed. Disciple means one who's willing to learn, who's growing. So every rational person makes rational decisions. Does that sound right? Of course it is. If you're rational, you make rational decisions. If you're irrational, you do un- unwise things. So rational is just one who has a sound, rational mind. They, they compute factors and fundamentals, and they act upon knowing that they have con- these things have consequences. We, we understand when we have some maturity and we start making rational decisions, we understand that if we make more rational good decisions than bad decisions, the quality of our life improves. That's a philosophical truth, but it's a spiritual truth also. So we compute the factors, we act upon those, and we, we're supposed to grow by that. We're supposed to learn some things as we go along that not, you know, not to keep making the same mistakes. Somebody said that, the, I, I, forget, I forget exactly how the the uh, uh, idiom goes, but it says, uh, I think it was Einstein's or someone like that, says, if you, if you continue making the bad mistakes, how can you expect a different... Uh, relationship or a different uh, circumstances to change. So, they compute the factors and they make good decisions and then they rationalize that and they justify their forthcoming actions. That's that's the way the process is to do. We should contemplate uh, doing something and then contemplate and rationalize is it going to be good for my life? Is it going to improve my life? It will be detrimental. Nobody has to tell a person if you drink, that's going to be detrimental. Nobody has to tell a person if you if you spend all of your money on just pleasures and, and neglect your household uh, commitments that your household is going to improve. Anybody with what they used to say half a mind knows that that can't be. So uh, we we can see here how Satan began to deal with these. And Satan said to her, "Hath God said and?" And this is how when we become become born again, Satan always comes to us kind of prefaced with this thought. Has God really said said this or is he just trying to keep something coming from you? I'm I'm going to give you some compromise. He says, this is another way to think about that. James chapter uh, 1 says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, the devil made me do it. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that when I'm tempted of God, although I think I've heard of somebody that heard that that, that God puts these uh, temptations to draw us a- away from him. God never does anything to draw you away from him. You see, for it goes on to say, uh, God cannot be tempted with evil, and says, neither tempteth he any man parenthetically with evil and he goes on to e- explain this because there's a colon in the uh in the scripture which while of course wasn't there in the original but it was added later to for definition it says uh every man is tempted when he is drawn away drawn away. this means from a fixed position uh being drawn away to where there is no retreat there's no retreat there uh, drawn from a stable position downward spiral compromising reevaluating, saying no maybe i can get away with this maybe i can do and continue to accept that downward spiral until there comes a point when there is no retreat you can't go back your mind is is blind Matthew chapter 13, this thought is picked up where it talks about the parable of the sower, and Jesus is is teaching about this parable, but embedded in it is some great truth. It says, a sower, that means a scatterer, went forth to sow. When he had sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. That means by the path. The way the way there in, in the first century was just simply a path. But well, we can tie that to our method of life, where we're going in life, what we do every day. That's kind of our path. We can pick up and translate this and the Holy Spirit will verify this thought in our lives. So when he had sown, some fell by the wayside, that path, side, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So, let, let me just interject here. Every person who has cognitive ability that is ever and ever will be born has a certain amount of seed that is sown into their life. Satan steals immediately some, but they got, they, they got enough that they could move on. And then he goes on to say in this, in this word, in Matthew thirteen, some fell on stony places. That could be well, you know what stony places in contemporary terms would be: hard-hearted, bad, bad attitude, uh, in inflexibility, uh, where they had not much earth, not much earth. That means not very much fruitful thing for a seed to grow. Farmers always looking for that good bottom land, you know, that's rich. But these didn't. This seed here fell on stony places where there was not. Didn't say any earth. It just said not much earth, and forthwith—that means at once—they sprung up. Now, if you spring up, you have to have life. A seed to, to spring up, it has to have life. It has to come to life. So this speaks about having life, and beginning to mature. Having received the life, they begin to mature. And because they had no depth of earth, didn't say they had, didn't have any earth, they had no depth in them. When the sun was up, they were scattered. And there again, it begins to uh, to define that. Uh, because uh, they had no root, they withered away. Something can't wither until it is born, until it comes to life. And I would say that is equatable to the born again experience. You, you don't come to life you come to life in the in the natural, sure, but you don't become born again until you uh for something to unless something can wither away in your life. And it said and then it says some fell among thorns. That means to, uh, something uh, a continual mocking in your life or intimidation or something like that. Uh and then it says the thorns sprang up and choked them. They it was a it was uh, alive, but it choked you. You can't be choked until you're alive. That's a term that's reserved for something that's alive. And it says some fell on good ground. Well, that means uh, depth has some depth in them, maybe environmental where they were under the tutelage uh, before they came to the knowledge of, of godly parents, or they were sent to church and they were hearing the word without with their parents, maybe drunk at home or, or just sending them on the church bus someplace. But these children grew up underneath of that thought, or somebody just walked by a church and staggered in. I've heard of drunk people staggering in, receiving the word and and coming to life. And it says that when some fell among good soil, good ground, that it brought forth fruit. That's just starting to grow in the light, and the word, in the seed form that you have. And it says some grew into a hundredfold, some into sixtyfold and some into 30-fold. And, of course, to have the 100-fold is wonderful. And if you can't have that, having the 60-fold is, is better yet. And if you can't have the 60-fold, you get the 30-fold, and that's wonderful. Because we're not, we don't all have the same talent. I've, I've met people who have tremendous amounts of talent, and we're not using them. And we, we're supposed to use those. And if we just, if we live this life and with, you know, and we don't act maybe as fully as we should, or we're not placed, we place where we had the uh, exposure that some do. And we come away with a hundredfold. Now that I'm not saying that you have to have a, a church of 10 or 12 or 15,000 to get the hundredfold return because you do not. It's where you are in Christ. Christ looks at the heart. He judges the heart. And if you get the 60-fold, that means you just maybe didn't quite do what you could have done. You chose to do that, but you got a 60-fold return. And the other 30-fold you didn't quite do as much as the one who with the 60 or the 100. But you still did things for God, and you produced 30-fold. When you stand before God, if you just get one-fold, you're going to be blessed. Fact is, if you stand there with no-fold except being born again, What a wonderful time for eternity versus hell where you're going to be tormented for eternity. And then in this Matthew 13, there's an admonishment. It says, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And, of course, the him there is a generic term. So it could be better said, just let them who have ears to hear, let them hear. It's a a Hebrew, uh, Greek type of a plural, singular plural. In James chapter 1, it says every man is tempted. That just simply means tested, enticed to examine the uh, their, what they're experiencing. So every, every man is tempted. And then it goes on to explain when he is drawn away of his own lust. So we can't blame it on someone else. We're drawn away of our own lust. that just means just desires, but it's little more than. that. It just means kind of desires that are almost overwhelming and enticed, drawn away from our own lust and enticed that means uh deceit, baited and tricked or deluded, entrapped enticed there's all those definitions it says and then. When lust, those desires, hath conceived, that means it's captured the one, it brings forth sin. And this is a process. It brings forth, I, I better go back and do this because I'm feeling led. And we need, I've, I've gone some, I've thrown in some definition, but I think I need to go back and read this because there's a progression that's going to happen here that you need to see. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And then, not only does it bring forth sin, when sin is finished, that means matured, it bringeth forth death. So that's a process. And this can happen certainly in the born-again one also. If you don't stay fastened on the Lord, this can be a process there. In Proverbs twenty-six, chapter twenty-six, it says, uh, and this is—it's always kind of revolted me, really, this passage, but it's it very applicable right here. Proverbs twenty-six, quote: "As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth." That remain, re- returneth there, just simply means, uh, in in the Hebrew, repeats his folly. That that means his perverseness. So yes. A believer can repeat their perverseness and go back to that state. Ephesians 2 says, Ye hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, plural. God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, that means made us alive, together with Christ, by grace, that means a cheerful act on the part of the giver, and thanks on the part of the receiver. It's a unilateral act. Ye are, that means hath been saved, a spiritual and an eternal salvation, granted immediately by God to those who receive, who will I should not receive only, but believe, on the Lord Jesus Christ, for if by grace are ye saved through faith, and actually grace are ye are saved, is just ye have been saved, because God He knows who's gonna be saved and who will accept, but He still gives us every man the the choice to to do that. That's probably what problem we have with those who uh want to say that uh that God already ordained who will be saved and who will be lost. No, every man falls into the chain of, of events where he can be saved for by grace. You have been saved through faith. That means to convince by argument of truth or pursuit and that not of yourselves. You didn't do it yourself. And he goes on to explain, it is the gift. It uses the article the, that's the one and only gift, not another gift. There's no way you can do it. No way to get saved except through the gift of God. Not of works, that means toil or effort in any form or occupation, anything. There's nothing you can do. It says, lest any man should boast. What a wonderful scripture that is in Ephesians 2. The Holy Spirit directed Paul to describe the gift of God as a unilateral offering. God made this offering and commitment between himself, and then he offered it to whosoever will. And we see those so clearly defined in the scripture that Whosoever will, you can see that in the most known verse in the Bible, which is John three sixteen, and and then companion that with John three seventeen, and you'll see this enlarged upon. So God is unilaterally offering this to the who, whosoever will accept it, in His created man, the gift there, is uh, is a Greek present term giving uh specifically to another. That's what it means. It's a, a gift uh, to someone else. You, there's gifts you can give to a group. There's a gift you can give to a, a multitude, but then there's gifts you give to individuals. And we, we understand that definition. We're rational. We understand that. A gift is given to enhance the body of Christ. It's given to enhance a being. And this is kind of the thought that's given here. It's given to uh, to be given by the receiver to those in need. So it just simply means that in that gift, God, gives that to enhance the body of Christ once you become born again. And then you don't get that to just sit there and enjoy that. You're given that that you can plow that or give that into another life as a believer to some other one who's in need. And, of course, we understand to another one in need primarily is salvation. I find a lot of people trying to give discipleship word to the people when the, the people only can receive the salvation, being born again word. Uh, so that, that I think that right there is a word from God in this teaching that you need to understand that you can't disciple somebody till they're born again. So quit trying to save the world until, or, or disciple the world until you get them saved. Unsaved people can't act good. They can't do right. They're incapable of that until they come to the Lord. That's why so many foundations are reaping millions and billions of dollars trying to teach people about good actions when their people can't do good. And that's where we have a wonderful Not a wonderful, but a very great problem with those uh, types of of organizations. In uh, John chapter 1, it talks about the next day, John, that means John the Baptist, seeing Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. There again, use the article, "the." He is God's only sacrifice. He's God's only Paschal Lamb. He is the Lamb of God, the one and only, which taketh away the, there again the article, the sin. And it uses a singular sin there because the first thing God saves you from is to not having accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's dealing with every sinner. He's not he's not dealing with people about only the sin in their life. He's using that to draw them to the Savior. And this is what he's dealing with the world. Behold the Lamb of Word that taken away the sin of the world. And there again, I would uh, uh, in, in, encourage my Calvinistic friends who accept that, the Lutheran people and others who accept that Calvinistic part of the teaching, the t- Tulip Principle, the sin of the world there and the lamb is the one and only lamb the sin is the one sin there is of not accepting the lord jesus christ which is god the sin for our the uh, savior for our sin the sin of the world sometimes we really do not cherish a gift unless we know what it costs the giver and I think I'm going to insert just a little thought here about the uh, people in our day and time, contemporary world, about the charity benefits that are so freely given by their government. Now, let me be first to say I believe in helping people get on their feet. People do, who do, who need food and shelter and clothing, I believe in helping. I believe in helping those, and I believe the government should have a certain amount of responsibility, although really that responsibility is on the church. That's what the church should be doing, not not the federal government. They shouldn't be very much involved in this. Let me just say this here. I know where there's a great debate right now about uh, in in the Congress, they're trying to come up with a bill about health care. Let me just say this. It's going to be a pointed statement. No one is entitled to health care. That's The principle is there. If you can afford it, then, of course, you should do that. And to afford it, you should have a job. And if, if some benevolent person wants to help you with that, but it mainly should be a family affair to take care of the indigent. But if, if state wants to do that to help a person get on their feet, I have a certain amount of latitude to that. But you should be working to get on your feet. That's the thing about it, to have the same problem. And I'm getting a little off field here. I understand that. I have a little problem. No, I don't. I have a great problem with people who have so many children that they can't feed, clothe, educate, and house those children until they're equipped to go out on their own. It's not the government's job to subsidize your sin by having too many children. I know that's hard, and you might not like that, but I'm speaking truth to you. So people don't uh, uh, appreciate a charity gift if they don't know what it costs. If people who are receiving the government check just think, that, and I heard one person say they're getting this check from from a past president. No, they weren't. They were getting it from the American people. And, of course, that person couldn't define, you know, where that person got, their, got the money. They didn't understand that. All they understood, the fact that they were getting the check from this individual every month, but they really were not. They were just ignorant okay so if 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 we don't understand what it costs, we really can't appreciate a gift, and if we don't understand what it costs God to to give Jesus as a sacrifice, we're missing that, and I would encourage you to do a great study on that. The gift of God to mankind uh as with gifts from man to man they can they can be, and you have an option of how you do that that can be rejected. All but a remnant of man that's ever been created or being created now or ever will be created, all but a very few of what I call a remnant will reject God's gift and be born again. We know that that's true from the scriptures. So a gift can be rejected. It can be received and not utilized. A person can be born again and never grow in God. They can be born again and never and sit in the pew for 50 years and never utilized their talents. I believe everybody who's born again, God can use someplace in the ministry. And he comes to me now as pastoring and, and being a minister for a lot of years. One of the greatest uh, detriments in ministry today that's not being utilized is when a person gets up to be a senior citizen somewhere around 55 or 60 or above, they, they're expected to sit on the back pew or someplace and, and just be quiet like a child. What a waste. And I, I charge you pastors and ministers who may be listening to this, utilize those senior citizens. Embedded in them is them is, is wonderful wisdom and knowledge. Get them involved in, in tutoring and in counseling the, the young people, the year in marriage. Somebody who's been married 40, 50, 60 years and much better equipped, they may not be able to use phraseology as you would, but they can teach people how to how to stay in a marriage and how to marry, make a marriage work but versus somebody who just has a philosophical degree and is about twenty five years old and his own staff and think they know everything and can help somebody no utilize those senior citizens so a person can can receive a gift but never utilize it they can give that gift away. They can trade it away. We saw that in Esau. He was willing to trade away his gift. He didn't treasure it. It can be given uh, as an unworthy thing to someone else. That causes spiritual entropy in a person. And it has results. It brings results. It can be neglected. I I just spoke about that in various forms. You, You can receive the gift of God. Or you can hear the word of God if you're an unsafe person and you're, you're listening to this, you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. You can hear this word we're talking about today. It won't mean much to you, but you can do that. And you can just say, oh, I don't, I'm going to pass that off. Yeah, I'm, uh, somebody else told me about that. Or you can be one who uh, has received, you're, you're born again, but you're a baby. If a person is ignorant, I, I, don't be offended by that. If you don't know something, you're ignorant. And I say there are many people who are born again, but they're, they're ne- they've neglected the gift in, but they haven't cherished it, and they're remaining a child after sitting in the pew for twenty and thirty years. And so I heard I heard somebody say it this way: uh, somebody asked a person about being born again, said, "Yeah, I've been in the way for forty years." And, and the person said about him, yeah, I wish they would get out of the way. That's what happened. They've been in the way. So maybe they've been sitting on the church board someplace, uh, or or serving in the Sunday school, and they don't know anything more than the nursery does. So yeah, they they've been in the way all those years, and because they give that thousands upon dollars, and they they let them hold on that position, or they let them buy a deaconship on on or on the board of directors or something, because they have. Uh, Economics that they plow into the ministry, so it can be uh, this gift can be neglected, and sa- salvation uh, is the sacrifice of God, It's the deliverance of God. It it can be it can be all of those things. In John, John chapter one, again it talks about if. If if you start looking at this little word if, it's a contingent form word. It requires qualification. And it's all throughout the Bible. I don't know how in the world some preachers teach some of the things that they teach and never address the word if. It says, if you abide, that means live in me, and my word abide, live in you, ye shall ask what you will. I mean, you can have a chance to, to will what you want. You can think about garbage, or you can, as a Christian, you can think about something else. You can ask what you will, because this is a father's promise to a child. That's that's what that's the way the will, if there is, this is a father to child promise, and it's based upon obedience. And then it goes on to say, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Well, you can't abide in him until you've been in him. I, I kind of tend to think in simple terms. I don't try to use philosoph- philosophical thoughts too much in the Bible. I just let the Bible verify the Bible. That's real uh, exegesis. Let the Bible verify the Bible. I was discussing with a young minister not long ago, and that's, that was we were going to discuss something, and I said to him, if we're going to discuss this, we have to come to some preliminary rulings, and that is let the Bible interpret the Bible. I don't care what some man wrote a book about. I don't care what a first-century person or a second-century person said about it, unless they were part of the apostles or, or even some of the church fathers had some extraneous thoughts. But let's let the I said let's let the Bible interpret the Bible, and it will, and that should be our criteria. And in, in John, First uh, John, chapter two, it says, "If ye you know that He is righteous, ye you know that everything that doeth righteousness." is born in him. That's a judgment call. Somebody says, I'm I'm not allowed to look at somebody else's judge their salvation. Well, yeah, we are. We we can judge the fruit of their life, and out of the fruit, you if they don't have fruit, then they're not alive. If something is dead, this doesn't have life in it. And if you're born again, you're gonna start producing some kind of fruit. I'm like I said, I'm a pretty rational guy. That's just elementary. My wife loves planting things. Dr. Violetta loves to work in the garden. I'm not much into that myself, but I watch her as she tenderly cares for for seedlings and and, uh, tender plants, and she plants those with love and caring and nourishes them, and they come to life. If you know that his that he is righteous, that means we know when we know that we know God's righteous, he has right standing with himself, you know that who that everyone that doeth righteousness, in other words, act as he would is born of him. you can't act as he does unless you're born of him, and the righteous there means innocent, holy in in deeds in the way that we act. So, the the things we do with gifts, and let me say this: a gift can be stolen. It can, if it's not treasured. Where, where do you put your gifts? Your real gifts, your treasures? You put them in a safe deposit box. You put them in a a safe someplace that that can't be broken into. You just don't leave them lying on a table someplace or or carelessly in your car with the windows down. Now, I know that's a ridiculous analogy, but that's that's a. It's applicable in the same way whether you put it in a vault in a bank or whether you put it in your car. Somewhere in the middle there's a rational thought. So uh, we try to keep our gift from being stolen because it can be stolen away. And let me tell you what your salvation can too. Satan loves to attack born-again believers more than he does unborn-again believers because he has them at his will whenever he wants to. But he does not have that with a born-again person. And John chapter ten says this: The thief cometh not. He, in other words, he doesn't come except to do uh, one thing, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan does in one of those forms. In everything that's despicable that's happening in every life, up to the things that's happening in Washington, which is disgusting. As I as we're recording this for you today. As I look across the political spectrum, I'm reminded of Isaiah where he talked about we have real problems when children and babies rule. And we're seeing that now. As I look at some of the shenanigans, I don't know if that's a Southern word, when I look at some of the things that are happening in Washington, they're so childlike and imbecilic, uh, I use that word loosely, that it just beggars description. So a gift can be stolen and the gift, of the regeneration in man, it must be maintained. Like any other born-again thing, it has to be maintained. If you just let a plant sit out in the sun without water and nourishing, it's going to die. That, that, we know that. Well, don't we think that we God gives us the ability of free will if we choose not to go on with him? We're going to die. We're not just going to hang in there It must be treasured, and it has to be nourished. And there's a mental and spiritual fact that we understand this principle. We hear it so often, what you don't use, you lose. That's applicable in the earthly terms. It's also very applicable in worldly terms and in spiritual terms. What you don't use, you will lose. And I found that exactly true in mark chapter 4 we talk about this what happens to the sower and it goes on to say that some fell on good ground and things happened in their life and it talks about the the one receiving the song word and talks about nourishing in it and taking care of it they receive it with gladness They're happy about it. Have you ever seen an unhappy person who had just been born again? You don't find those. People who've just been born again, they have an inherent immediate happiness and joy about them. They receive it with gladness. This can only happen at regeneration. Oh, we can have a a certain amount of gladness and joy, but you don't know that real gladness until you go through the regeneration experience and it says they have no root; they don't have any root. That just means, uh, in the Greek, a source. Uh, they're they're a blank board, like, like a writing board, a school board. It is they have a blank source there. That's the root word of it. They in the root word embedded is it means they they uh, their origin, they're a fresh start, they're a new creation, they're a new cause. They have a new path to follow. And he goes on to say, uh, and they endure but for a time. Well, can that mean any other thing except they were born again and they endured for a time? One has to be born again to endure. They remain in an unnourished state for a time. And then it says, when afflictions or persecutions arise, and it says, for the word's sake. And inherent in that thought, I want to take a little ministerial license here. When he talks about afflictions and persecutions arise for the word's sake, I mean the word's that's in you, that's salvation. You're beginning to grow. You've got the word because now Jesus, who is the word, is living inside of you. He's trying to draw you by his Holy Spirit. And the word, these things arise for the word's sake because Satan's going to see to it that they happen. Circumstances of life are going to be more acute to you. You're not going to enjoy doing what you used to. And the guys and, and, and people you used to love to hang out with, they don't want you around anymore. You don't have to shun them. They'll shun you. So these things start to arise for the word's sake. And it says they are they're entangled. They're, uh, they, they're just just not at ease. They are offended, really, is what the word says. And it says, when comes afflictions, that means pressures, that that just burden, that reborn spirit, only a born-again person, spirit, can be burdened. For the word's sake, an unborn-again person, an unregenerated person, they don't care about the word. They can curse and they can do evil things, fornicate. They can, you know, do any kind of thing. And they're they they're I mean they they they're conscious about that. There's a problem with it, but they're not offended for the word's sake per se. And and it says that persecutions come. That means constant attack. Have you ever been under constant attack? It's even difficult for a mature Christian, but for a baby Christian, it's very difficult to to have these afflictions come and persecutions. That that constant anguish. Depends on where you work and the people you associate with. That you have to in the workplace. You have to go back to that workplace, and you can't go back there as you did before you were saved. They are offended. That means they int... Enti- they and this is what's embedded in the word uh, offended. They are enticed to sin. They they're enticed to say, oh, I, I got to act like they want me to act against. So, I, so they won't chastise me. They won't ostracize me. I, I I can I I don't have to take the heat anymore. So they're in, enticed to sin. They may not be really want to go back and have the drink with the boys after work or uh, go out partying. They may not want to go to that, but they just make some kind of a lame excuse, you know. They don't stand up for the Lord, but they're enticed to go with them. Sometimes they do. Many times they go out and, and, ha- and partake of those kind of things that they, they used to do with the people, even though they're born again, and all the time they're in misery. And then they start going into apostasy, from which uh, there's a a downward spiral. Apostasy always brings death at, at the end of it. it. It simply means, offended means, to desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. That's what the word offended means. You're, you're trusting something and someone that you before had your full trust and uh, obedience to, and now you begin to doubt that. Remember that term I used a while ago, half God said? That's what he starts to say. Oh, you can take you. You don't have to do. You want to. You don't want to be that serious, uh, silly, dumb, ignorant-looking, funny-looking, weird Christian thing. Don't don't let people know that. You know, just go ahead and hide that, and then you can party a little, and you can drink a little, and you can you can say some dirty things. You can say the dirty jokes, and laugh at those. But you know, don't get too serious about it. And this is why baby Christians. They have to be fed, and they have to be protected and i used, I've heard this analogy they have to put into be put in a spiritual nursery. you have to guard them, you have to shield them like you did you do any child like you did with your children if you have children lifting this. you had the child the to protect those child you had to stand at the buffer between them and the world situations to keep the the world problems off of them until they old were not old enough to to address it and deal with it. I used uh, to think that it was difficult for a person to, use, to lose their salvation. I really did. I thought that maybe uh, there was uh, maybe just a very person. Every long now and then you might hear about somebody that you thought may have may have lost their salvation. And, of course, the church I grew in, into as a child, uh, my father and some ladies uh, chartered that church, and that's the one I grew into until I went into the military. Although I was exposed because of a friend, I went with him to a, a full gospel church, so I wasn't intimidated by the full gospel message. But I was still founded in the uh, in in another uh, organization, another ministry. So uh, they, the I used to think it was very difficult for a person to lose their salvation. But in Revelation chapter three, it goes on to correct this thought, and it did in my mind. I know thy works. That just simply means works, what you do uh, pr- to prove your inward state. That's what your works depict. And has kept my word and not denied my name. If you want to know what you're supposed to do as a Christian, I just gave it to you. Somebody might say, how do I live the Christmas, Christian life? I just gave it to you. Let me let me insert this. You do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Has kept my word and not denied my name. You can put those two things and that's the way you live the Christian life as you're as you're empowered parenthetically and strengthened by the holy spirit to do it let me t- let me give you a personal story i had a pastor friend and we we used to have fellowship and i thought it was true fellowship for years we had a lot of things in common and i thought he was valid he had he had credentials he had letters after his name And we had wonderful discussions. I ministered in his church. And uh, I thought it was strange that he didn't receive my ministry too well. I saw him frown as I covered a couple couple of things that should have been just valid things that shouldn't have caused any consternation whatsoever. And I felt uncomfortable. And after uh, a couple of times, he didn't invite me anymore. And well, we still stayed, uh, quote unquote, friends. And then one day I learned about it. He was teaching an error that if you believe this error, then you cannot be saved. And I believe that this man had been born again. He couldn't have gotten where he was, I don't believe. And me felt the way that I did unless I witnessed that he was born again because he was a pastor, been a pastor for a long while. And then I heard him talk about a, a, a form of, that he was, had embraced and was accepted and was teaching and adhering to that had in, included some works that you do something. And then, uh, well, let me just say it this way. He was propagating to me that uh, that you make God Christ Lord and then he saves you. And I said, brother, I sent him a letter. I didn't. I didn't bring him up in. I sent him one-on-one a little informal note, and I said, and I said, brother, uh, I, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Give me a give me a definition letter. Give me a position letter on this. And he sent me back a position letter. That's exactly what he had embraced. That you did something, you put some works into it, and then God, acting upon your works, He saved you. And I sent him a letter. I said, brother, this is this is error. That you You cannot teach this because it adds works to salvation and God does not allow that. We cannot do that. Ephesians 2 is very, very clear. It's not by works. It's a gift of God. It's a unilateral gift between contract between God and Jesus and the word and it's offered unilaterally to a person and you have a person has the will to as I've covered in this message to accept or deny to accept and let it grow, to accept and let it die and become dead again. And then uh, let me just give you some charges. If you are secure in Christ, based on that story I've just given you and some of the word uh, that we've talked about today as I start to bring this to a close, if, that word again, and this is a charge to you and a pause for reflection. If you are secure in Christ, then just rejoice, hallelujah, praise God, you're saved, you're born again, you're secure in him. That's a wonderful piece of revelation that you can rejoice in from now and have the confidence for every more will be doing that. You have doubts of your salvation. If you have those, then look at John chapter five, verse 14. If you have doubts about uh, growing in God, 1 John five fourteen. If you feel that you have such gr- uh, sin, such grievous sins that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse you, and it talks about their re-cleansing you, then look at First John chapter one verse seven through First John chapter two verse two. That's again First John one seven through John two two. It, it, that is, if you feel that you've sinned so much that God can't redeem you back to again, or if he can't redeem you in the first place, if you're listening to this for the first time and you're unsaved, then look at that again. Uh, John, Let me give you John 3:16 and 17, 1 John 5, 14, and then 1 John 1, 7 through 2, 2. If you feel that you have totally sinned sh- away your day of grace and you've become unsaved, and are consigned to eternity in hell again? Let me give you some scriptures to consider. Just look at the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, and this talks about walking in the word and confessing that word, uh, a Christian walk. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, talks about guarding what you've been given. First Peter Uh, Chapter 5, verse 5 says, it talks there about humility, submission, getting pride out of your life. Lord, that's what got the devil in the first place. It's always rooted in the first sin. It can can be there in in a full-blown, mature Christian. 1 Peter 5, 5 deals with humility and submission. Maybe some of you are pastors. And you, you, now you've attained a church of thousands and you think you've arrived and there's nothing can stand. But, I'll tell you what, you're open to to an attack, brother. If you, you already are, as a matter of fact. I started to say sister, but I can't say that. And I must say this at this point, too. God does not allow women pastors. I know that's going to bite. And some of you won't like that. And maybe some listening, you're probably going to stop the tape right now and throw it away. But God does not allow women to function in the fivefold ministry gift, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Those are office gifts given. Now, you can function in in the intent of those, yes, but you may not hold those position because if you try to, there's going to be a great problem. Okay, let me move on. I didn't intend to say that, but it needed to be said. Job chapter 22, verse 29 says, talks about God's sovereignty acting in one's, in one's heart. God's there in the heart actively. He's even there in the unsaved heart acting to draw them to Christ. It's a salvation experience. Psalm 34, 2 says, it talks about ministering humility to oneself. Ministering humility to within your own will and your mind and your emotions. Dealing with that. Get it out of your life. And it's always there. The higher we get in some areas, the more that's something we have to deal with. Psalm 69, verse 32. It talks about out of humility comes seeking God. So the scriptures I've been giving you, they're just there to cause you to seek God again for the first time, be born again, or after you anywhere in your discipleship process, Let humility be a part of your daily walk with God, and it'll draw you to seeking God. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I come quickly, and it goes on to explain that, and my reward is with me. Oh, mercy. We don't understand that scripture, and we'll not understand it until we get on the other side of the veil, and God quickens it and shows it to us. At our beam of seed with Christ. That's the, that's the seed of the, where the Christian meets Christ and is judged for their, for the good of their works. We'll never meet our sin again when we stand before Christ as a born-again person. We will only stand there to receive the rewards. That's that hundred, sixty, thirty-fold talk, I talked about earlier. And Revelation 22, verse 7, 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride, that's the body of Christ, say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that thirst come. And whosoever will, parenthetically, my Calvinistic friends, and whosoever will, let him that desires take the waters of life freely. Let me leave this. Sila, Meditate contemplate this it's been a joy and a pleasure being with you in this teaching question can one lose their salvation i pray this a blessing for you listen to it many times share the content with friends move out with god i enjoy you in you again to go to our website rafa ministries world and you'll find out who we're about there and some about our personality and what we're doing And uh, if you'd like to contribute to the ministry, there's a place you can do that. And also, uh, you can go to my personal uh, YouTube. That's Lee West Ministries. And there you'll find a lot of freebie things. My Bible Answer Man, which will be wonderful for you. Some topics that will bless you. Till we meet again either in person, in seminar or teaching form, or again on another teaching or on one of our DVDs, may the Lord richly bless you.